Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to a passage of Scripture as you remain standing. Say it one more time, come out of the picture. Can you say it one more time? Yes. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to read from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Let's look at the word of the Lord together. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on, everybody say, I press on, to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on, everybody say, I press on, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this awesome moment you have given me to speak directly to all of KC, I'm thankful for what you are doing in and through this church, throughout the nations, and throughout our own nation of the United States of America. I thank you, Father, for how you're moving by your power. I thank you for the leaders that you've raised up, all of those who are a part of this church you have ordained for them to be a part of. And Lord, I thank you for what you're doing, but I'm asking you today that there would be an anointing upon me that I might share the word you placed in my heart for this great congregation. I thank you, Lord, for how you're going to move in power in this year. So I'm asking you to not only anoint me, but anoint every person who hears this message. They'll rise up and they will be that which you've called them to be. And we declare it done in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Just as the president gives the State of the Union address every year, and just as our governor gives the State of the State address, so every year I give what I call the State of the Church address. Now, I not only report on what God did the previous year and uh, and where we are to date, but I pray that God would give me a revelation. Everybody say a revelation for the church and a prophetic word for all of us to stand on in this year. As you know, last year God gave us a powerful word called fulfilled. And those who absolutely believed that that was the year of fulfillment, it actually became the year of fulfillment. It's amazing for what happened not only in our church, but what happened personally. I can recall how I wrote on those envelopes in those special times of giving specific things. God did those specific things. And as a church, he fulfilled certain things. 
We grew in spite of COVID. In the number of extensions to 460 extensions. Somebody say hallelujah. 307 internationally. Remember, the nations were closed. This happened in spite of the nations being closed. People were under mandates not to go anywhere, and yet the church grew. We grew to 153 in the U.S., in 21 states, and now in 18 nations outside of the U.S. Each of our current extensions grew. In fact, someone may say, well, Pastor, we're only a little over a third of where our goal is. Just think about this a moment. In the next three and a half years to four years, by the year 2025, if every extension we currently have starts one extension, and a few more start more than that, we're already at that number of 1,200. Somebody say hallelujah. We grew in weekly attendance. As best as I can estimate, given the fact that it's very difficult to get all the figures during COVID, many people are not able to be in church, uh, they're on streaming and all the other things, but as best as I can estimate, we minister weekly to 45,000 people, 30,000 of them internationally and 15,000 in the United States. We grew in the number of people that were saved and transformed by God's redeeming power every single week throughout our church. All of our extensions have experienced the wonder of seeing people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It's an amazing thing to see. We prayed specifically last year that God would release resources, two million a month, to come in from our U.S. church and God graciously put it on the hearts of people to give. God graciously prospered our people and they gave in crazy faith. And as a result, when we closed this year, we saw over $25 million come through this church in 2021. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our staff grew a number, and so did the number of people involved in ministry. New properties were bought, and the 10 acres across the street was paid off this last year. And Molokai was paid off this last year. We're in a lot of building projects, and many of those projects move forward toward the day we hope this year they'll be completed. And God began to do something in 2021. It was a process that he began. You see, some of the things that we wrote down and we cried out for were not fulfilled in 2021, but the process began. Everybody say the process began to see it fulfilled in the future. That brings me then to the word for this year. The word is a challenge. The word is a lifestyle. And the word is a promise. 
You say, well, what in the world is the word for this year? Well, it is dioko. You say, dioko? What's dioko? Is that a battery? Is that a, what is it? Dioko is the Greek word, and it's used 45 times in the New Testament. It's translated eight different ways into the English language. The number one translation of the word is the word persecute. It's translated about 30 times along with its derivatives. It's translated pursue uh, the second most times, and that's five times. And then two times it's translated make every effort. Fourthly, it's translated only once in four different ways. Words like try and go running after or follow in other words. And fifth, it's the word that in this text is used twice. It's the word press on. Everybody say press on. Now, what it actually means then is not just a kind of hanging loose idea while I'm pressing on. It's a passionate, pursuing, making every effort, straining toward the mark to finish the race. It means to press on toward a goal. It's like a, a detective who spends his entire life looking for that criminal, doing everything he can to find him. You would say, well, pastor, how was it that Paul would use such a word to describe his life? It's because Paul was passionate. He was passionate in such a way that he persecuted Christians. That's why the word can be used like that. It's a, you know, he, he would travel from Jerusalem to Damascus to arrest Christians. And when he met the risen Lord on that road, that passion was turned to the fulfilling of the will of the master. If we're going to do anything in this life, that word has to grip us. If it doesn't, our life will be wasted. Everybody say it, press on. Everybody say it again. Press on. When you check out the context of this particular passage, you'll notice some things. First, Paul is concerned about the Judaizers. You say, Pastor, who in the world are the Judaizers? Well, these were people who believed in Jesus, but they were so passionately um, tied to Judaism that they thought every believer had to become a Jew or they truly weren't a follower of Jesus. And Paul's argument, as you can read it in the book of Romans, and of course a whole entire book was written on his argument, the book of Galatians. He's saying, look, if becoming a Jew would save you, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on a cross. The law cannot save. It just tells us we're sinners. We needed a Savior, and there's only one. His name is Jesus, who died in our place. And the only way the true righteousness can come forth is by our believing on him and receiving what he came to give us. 
forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He begins to tell us not only about the Judaizers, but he tells the church in Philippi of what he was before he became a Christian, a person with a lot of self-confidence in his own righteousness. Well, when he met the Messiah, he realized all his false conceptions of religious righteousness was nothing more than trash in comparison to knowing Christ and becoming righteous by faith in him. His passion then became to know. Everybody say, to know Christ. To know Christ intimately in every aspect of his life. Paul shows very clearly the secret of his life. And that was, I press on. I press on to know him intimately. Everything in my life is focused on knowing him. I press on. The future is ever before me. The time he has given me, he's given me for a purpose to fulfill his will. And he realizes he hasn't obtained in the present everything that God has called him to. He wants to know God. He wants to know our Lord more. He wants to do what our Lord wants him to do. His goal, and listen to how he says this. It's an amazing thing. His goal is to take hold of that which took hold of him. Now you go, what is that about? Well, one of the problems of the New Testament, if you're reading it in the Greek language, it's called the Koine Greek. It's the Greek common Greek of the day. Things make a lot more sense. It's when you have to translate something from Koine Greek into English, it doesn't make sense sometimes in our English language. It's like, I don't know if you've ever had, if you've ever preached to a, uh, another group of people that didn't speak your language, so you have an interpreter. Well, if you ever have tried to share a joke with another culture using an interpreter, Nobody laughs because it's almost impossible to share a joke in another language when it's not culturally appropriate or they don't have any clue of what you're talking about. Well, so it is with the Greek language. Sometimes there's phrases. This is one of them. This whole passage is one of them. But let me see if I can bring some insight to it. And that is this. Jesus revealed himself to Paul Remember, on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians. In fact, God sovereignly seized him. That's what it means by take hold. God sovereignly seized him. His goal then in life, his passion, if you will, is that which God revealed to him on that Damascus road is what he yearns then to seize for the rest of his life. Now, what did, what did God reveal to him? Well, you'll notice that it's twofold. The first is found, remember when um, Saul was his name at that time, he took his, um, he took his Roman name Paul, 
Later on in his life and ministry, he became known as the Apostle Paul, but he was named after King Saul because he was of the tribe of Benjamin. That was the hero of the Benjamin tribe, so he was named after him. But what was interesting is that when Saul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, God spoke to a man by the name of Ananias to go and pray for Saul. You know the story. It's very familiar. Ananias says, I don't want to go pray for him. He's, he, he kills people. He, he's, he's here to arrest us all. I, I, I don't think that's a good idea, Lord. And God speaks to him to go. Now listen to what Ananias says when he goes to pray for Saul. He prays that he would see, and so he laid hands on him, and immediately the blindness came off of Saul's eyes. But listen to what Ananias said to Saul. The God of our fathers has chosen you, has seized you, has taken hold of you. Are you, are you with me here? Listen to what he says. God, to, and he says, he seized you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. That is why for Paul, his passion is to know Christ. You see, for him, the knowledge of Christ isn't some little theology. It is the literal living out of who Jesus is and seeing that become deeply a part of our lives so that when people look at us, they see Jesus. It is a very sad thing when you get up to preach a message and you look out in those congregations and you can see it in their eyes. They don't want to be there. They're there because they got to be or somebody made them come. There's no hunger for God. I can endure an hour and a half service and like that they're out of here. They have no concept of pressing on to know him. But the second thing is seen. And the second thing is seen in verse 15 of what Ananias said of Acts 22. Listen to what he said. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. The second thing that Paul pressed on is to know Christ but then to fulfill the vision of seeing thousands of people come to know Jesus as Savior, both Jew and Gentile. And the focus of his life, now think about how he does this, because he says this in the text. He says one thing. Here's what he says. One thing. He makes it real clear. He says, look, he says... I, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. Now think about it. What would that goal be? He says, I, I need to... I need to not linger in the past. I strain toward God, what God has for me in the future. 
And he then goes on to say, so that future is the fulfilling of the vision that he received from the Lord on that Damascus road. He's going to know him and he is going to fulfill the vision that was given him. And everything in his life will be channeled for those two things. Now, then he says something even stranger than all of that. He says, every mature Christian has the same press-on philosophy. Oh, Paul, you shouldn't have said that. But that's exactly what he says. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Now let's stop here for a moment. Is that your view of life? <laughs> no, it's to get that fancy car. It's to live in that fancy house. It's to get a high-paying job and brag about it to all my friends of how wealthy I am. Shame on you. I want to be successful in the eyes of the world. Right. All who are mature Christians has the same press-on philosophy as Paul did. And what is amazing to me is just prior to this word of the Lord for our whole church for 2022, God had me do a series called It's Time to Grow Up. This needs to be added to that series. Everybody say a press-on philosophy. And finally, Paul in this text says we all need mentors. Listen to how he says it. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. So he says, look, everyone needs a mentor. I'm going to be your mentor. I want you to follow me. And he says, you mark people, you mark people that are following me as well. Those are the ones you hang out with. Those are the ones that you elevate. Now listen to me, because God is about to speak to all of us very clearly about where we're at. Number one, it's easy to forget what Christianity is. You know, we all say, well, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Right, you're absolutely right, except here's the problem. <laughs> Think about relationships. Think about the most precious of relationships, the covenant relationship, which is, and Paul uses the covenant relationship of marriage to describe the relationship between Christ and his church, right? There in Ephesians. So he uses that covenant relation. Let's talk about that. Because like marriage, the task of a marriage is to spend your entire life knowing your spouse. And I'm telling you what, that is an amazing task. Because at every stage in life, things shift. Colleen and I were young. Wow! Lots of exciting things. Then kids came. Whoa, lots of exciting things. Very different. 
And then, then, then we move to Hawaii, very different than where we were. And then, then we get older, and then we get into that time when, when hormones aren't working as well as they did earlier in life. And, and boy, was that exciting. And then we get into the stage we're in now. And at every single stage, it's very different. And you know what I've noticed that breaks up marriages? Is that people didn't get married to know their spouse. They didn't even care if they knew their spouse. What she liked or didn't like. What pleases her. What doesn't. All they wanted was the comfort of somebody else doing what they liked. And so they have serial marriages because you don't fit my standard of what I want. So I'm going to get a new model. And they find out after many marriages, it's not the spouse who is the problem. Anybody listening to me today? You see, a covenant relationship that we have with the Lord not only begins by meeting him in faith and receiving him as Savior, but then the whole focus of our life is Christ and him crucified. Christ in his resurrection. Christ in every aspect of his life and in every aspect of our life. He's not the cosmic bellhop. He's not the Santa Claus in the sky, which many people think he is. And if he doesn't do what I want, forget it, I'm leaving. It's like some people that come into a church and they have all the plans of what they want the church to be. That's not their call. Their call is to serve in light of what God says to do. I don't care if you don't like this carpet. Is that going to destroy your ability to be in the church because you don't like the color of the carpet? Well, I got a good idea then. You pay the $100,000 to get it changed and we'll consider possibly changing it, maybe making it a color more like what you want. See, sometimes we get weird about... We're in a covenant relationship with the living Lord. We have come into this house as a covenant relationship. And that covenant relationship is to know the Lord and to do His will. That's it. It's to fulfill His vision. He seized us. You say, what are you talking about? He sees me. I made a decision to follow Jesus. Stop for a moment. Think about it. Who was praying for you? How did you even get to that point where you received Christ? There was something happening way beyond what you know that moved you into the place, that brought you where you are, and you made a choice. Yes, you had that choice. It's real. But it was God at work all the way through the process. You could have aborted his will for your life, but you chose. But it was God who seized you. Now, why did he seize you? So you could sit around and look stupid? 
Why did he seize you? You're a part of his body. And if you're not working properly, it affects the entire body. You say, well, I don't understand that. Oh, you know you understand that. If you ever cut your finger, your little finger, and it gets infected, and it's painful, did you know that little finger can affect your whole body? Christ's body has parts that are infected. And instead of instead of remembering what Christianity is, an intimate relationship with the living Lord, it's just a perfunctory duty. Can a marriage last like that? I don't think so. And what makes you think a marriage with the Lord's going to last? When you have no passion for him, no love for him. Don't bother me. Don't bother me. Don't bother me. I show up to church once a week or maybe it's once a month when my family's not here and I don't have a golf date. I'm there. Why, Why are you bothering me? Is this just a movie that you go see and then leave? Or are you in a place where you can grow in the knowledge of the Lord and worship him? It's easy to forget what Christianity is. You see, that's why we we press on. It's why we pray so we can hear his voice. And we can hear and do his will. That's why we serve. It's because we know he pressed all the way to the cross to redeem us. Our little time we spend serving is simply a thank you, Lord, for how you served us. We pray. We press on in prayer in mornings even when we're tired because we recognize that we get to join Jesus in his task of intercession for all of us. Oh my, my, my. And we get to be with him and intercede on those things that are on his heart. We press on in loving people, even the unlovable, Some of you are married to someone like that. Don't get discouraged. Just thank the Lord. You get to press on. You get to press on in loving. You get to learn what it means to love the unlovable. We press on in giving. For we know that as we do, he is the provider. Everybody say we press on. But on that Damascus road, not only did he come to know Jesus and knew that his task was to hear his voice and to express him to the world, to get his strategies for life, to know him in every aspect of the life 
that Jesus lived. But on that Damascus road, he got a he got a vision, a mission by Jesus. He records it there in Acts 26, 17. He's before King Agrippa, and he tries to get King Agrippa saved. <laughs> and what's so amazing is that he says, um, he tells about his story of encountering Jesus. And he said, Jesus said to him, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, and I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to, to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then he goes on to say to King Agrippa, I was not disobedient. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. His whole life revolved around that vision. Please don't get angry at me when I ask you, how many extensions do you have? How many life groups do you have? Are you in a life group? Are you serving? Are you doing anything? How are you giving? Are you giving anything? Oh, don't talk to me about that, Pastor. Think about it for a moment. What are we doing here? Well, I just want to go to heaven. Don't pray that like that. Because God will take your life like that. He'll get you to heaven. You're here for another purpose. If the only purpose was to get you to heaven, the moment you got saved, you'd be killed. Come to King's Cathedral. <laughs> Fastest way to heaven. Why are we here? We're here to fulfill his vision. We're here to accomplish what he made us for, what he seized us for. He seized us so that we could seize him and fulfill the vision. Don't get mad at me for a vision. It's way beyond what we can do. I know that. Every morning when I pray, I say, Lord, in the natural, this is impossible. But nothing is impossible with you. Nothing. When I sign documents to buy buildings and buy, I go, oh. it's impossible. But nothing is impossible with you. You see, to Paul, all of life was a straining like that runner to touch the tape. That should be our attitude toward the vision he's given us as a church. It should be the attitude of what we do for the next year and way beyond. You see, we can, we can end up, if we're not careful, forgetting what he's told us to do. Listen to what Paul writes to the Romans. Because you grab a hold of his concept of vision. Listen to what he says. He says in Romans 15, 19, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit, so from Jerusalem all the way through Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's always been my goal to, uh, to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And then he tells them, that's why I'm going to Spain. And that's why I'm coming by. So you can give me an offering so I can get to Spain. I mean, he's bold to say that. 
I don't have problems receiving offerings because I know where it's going. And if you're offended by it, I'll slap you silly. Because what value is that? I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not here to, to try to get you to give so somehow somebody can be enriched by that. I'm here to say, we have a vision. This is what we're doing. Paul the Apostle said, I have a vision. I've gone all over, all over Asia Minor. I've gone everywhere. I've preached in places where the gospel's never been preached. And that's what I'm doing right now. Help me. That's what he says. Everything in his mind revolves around the vision that seized him when Christ seized him. And so his life now is to seize that vision. It may not be that you'll end up being a pastor. It may not be that you'll end up being a real wealthy businessman who throws millions of dollars into the gospel. It may not be that you, you will, you'll be able to work with kids or youth. But every one of us can do something that is essential for the ongoing work of Jesus. Think about this. If every church is strong, if every extension is strong in KC, and they can multiply, that goal could be reached in a year. Keep in mind, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Oh, but pastor, I'm discouraged. Join the club. When was the last time you were beaten with rods? When was the last time you were shipwrecked? When was the last time you were beaten with cat of nine tails? When was the last time you were stoned to death? All of those things Paul went through. And yet his passion was, I'm going to press on. When was the last time you were thrown in prison and put your foot in the stocks? We're a bunch of wimps. We have no clue what it takes. And I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me. You can't read a passage like this without somehow saying, oh God, forgive me. I am so sorry. We cannot focus on our future if we are allowed to keep focusing on our past, which limits us. And that's why straining toward what is ahead, Paul says. I think 10 years ahead. I'm already praying about what to do with 10 acres. I'm praying about states that it will open. I'm praying about nations that we must multiply in. You say, well, what keeps me in the past? Well, some of it's your past hurts. That bitterness that lingers there. Listen, I know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You, 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 you've had the same problem. Well, I was offended here. I don't want to be in here because I was offended. That past hurt will hurt you in fulfilling your future. 
Look, if I've offended you, I'm really sorry. I'm not just saying that. I'm very sorry. I have no intention of ever offending anyone. I try to be as gracious as I can. But sometimes you need a slap. How many know what I'm talking about? To get you moving. Sometimes it's false fixations. If I was only in a different place, everything would be great. If, if, if pastor, you would, you would give me money, everything would be fine. Right? We all have false ideas. Our name needs to be in lights because we're so marvelous and you have me doing this. Okay. You're allowing your past and your false conceptions of who you are and what you're supposed to do to afflict you, to take your future. You don't understand what's happened to me. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus know what happened to you? Is he going to give you a pass when you get to heaven? He's going to say, oh, yeah, oh, I knew what happened to you. Or is he going to say to you, why didn't you do what I told you to do? Why would you allow that to rob you of the vision I gave you? Sometimes it passes other people's expectations. You're trying to live out what other people think you ought to do rather than what the Lord wants you to do. Sometimes it's past failures. Oh, I can't do that because I failed on it the last time. Did you know God has a timing for everything? Did you know Paul wanted to go to, to Asia Minor? To, 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 uh, it's, called, you know, it's called Asia in the Roman map, which would be where Ephesus was. And God said, no, don't go. Don't go. And then later on he does go and he's extremely successful. There's timing for everything. Sometimes it's past excuses. Sometimes there's bondages that you have. And they've grabbed a hold of you, and those excuses are nothing more than bondages. Sometimes it's past habits. You get into a habit of hanging out, and God says, come on, man, let's get this together. Well, I'm, I need a sabbatical. And you've been on sabbatical for years. Well, I'm going to just take some time off. You've never got back on time. Please don't let those past destroy your future. You be future focused. I'm future focused. I'm future focused. I have a certain amount of time. In that certain amount of time, I've got to accomplish this. And then we notice the importance of one thing. I love what the psalmist is saying. One thing I desire. 
of the Lord, and that will I seek after. Paul uses the concept of one thing. One thing thou lackest, Jesus said to a self-righteous rich man. Richer and ruler. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. One thing. If he had done that one thing, his whole life would have shifted. One thing is needful, Jesus said to the busy, busy Martha, who was criticizing Mary. One thing you need to learn of me. One thing I know, exclaimed the man who received his sight in John 9. One thing I know, I once was blind, but now I see. What's your one thing that you're focused on? Saying, God, use me. Another thing God speaks to us is to be an example to others of what God requires. I've had my dad and mom who are a mentor to me, Pastor Sapp, Dr. Cho, Dr. Peter Wagner, Dr. George Wood. Dr. Wood just died. All of my mentors are gone. These were people that spoke into my life by what they taught me, what they did, what I observed from them. You say, well, pastor, what are you going to do? I'm going to try to be a good mentor myself. And you don't become a mentor by words. Words are important, but you become a mentor by what you do and how you do it. And Paul says, look, follow me. He said, I'm not ashamed to be a mentor. Everything I do, the emphasis I make in this church is because I honestly believe this. That if you serve, there'll be an anointing on your life that'll break through many problems you face in life. If you pray, God will answer those prayers and you'll see time and time again God's working. If you give, God will prosper you. If you you witness, God will allow you to see the joy of seeing people saved. There's nothing like it in the world. That's why every year I have Ken Yob here. Every year. You say, he's old. Yeah, but he's doing stuff that nobody else is doing. Every day he sees somebody one-on-one saved. Every day of the year. And he's done it year after year after year. Don't tell me you want to be an evangelist. And you can't lead one person to the Lord. Well, we don't have the music and we don't have the pulpit, and we don't have the crowd. You make your own crowd. You see, you be an example to others. You see, this whole passage to me is fascinating because you'll notice press on. Everybody say press on. It's a challenge. Everybody say a challenge. It says, stop being lazy. Stop wasting your time. Break all of those things that are binding you from fulfilling God's will. God sees you, so press on. Everybody say, press on. Turn to your neighbor and say, press on. 
It's a lifestyle. The Apostle Paul didn't say this because he was in a pep rally and he decided, I'm going to get everybody excited. This was his life. It's a lifestyle. Press on. It's a race. You got to fulfill it. When you stand before the Lord, the question will be, did you fulfill what I told you to do? Jesus said, not every man that crieth, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Are you doing his will? But thirdly, it's a promise. You see, Paul talks about a prize. He doesn't tell us what the prize is. Of course, we can know from Scripture some of those prizes. It's the words of Jesus in Luke 19 when he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. It's the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, as he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's the unending presence of the Lord, as he mentions in 1 Thessalonians 4. It is no eye has seen, nor ear or heard, or nor heart has even conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, as he said in 1 Corinthians 2. But the key is that there is nothing you will ever do in life that God will not reward you, because he is a rewarder. This is a promise to you and to me. If we'll press on, the challenge will be fulfilled. Our lifestyle will change, but God's got something good for us. Stand to your feet. Lift both hands to the Lord and just begin to praise him that we have the privilege of serving him. Come on, would you lift your voice and praise him? Would you lift your voice and praise him? Lord, we praise you today. We thank you. We magnify and glorify your holy name. I thank you, Lord, that we're a part of a church, a community of faith, that we can encourage one another. That's why you told us in your word to stir up one another to love and good works. We can help each other to press on. That's why you gathered us together as a church. We're not here just simply to watch a program on television. We're here to interchange our lives with others, to encourage, to strengthen. That is why you built the church, so that we could be passionate in our pursuit of you and fulfill your will. Oh God, do it in us. Put your hand on your heart. Pray it with me, dear God. Do whatever you have to do in me to change my thinking that I might press on in the difficult times and in the good times may I press on in loving in serving in praying in giving in being all you've asked me to be Help me to press on in knowing you. And being your representative in our world. Help me to press on to make your church what you want it to be. Help me to press on to fulfill the vision you have given us.
And I'll be sure to give you the praise. don't think we really understand something. God is looking for someone who will be like that because he sees the thousands, the millions that don't know him. Look, I've been in the ministry for over 50 years. I've seen everything you can see in the ministry. I've seen churches that once were on fire, no longer on fire. They're just symbols of what was the past. I don't want that to happen here. I don't want it to happen to you. It's not about a title. It's not about whether people know your name. There's the audience of one who seized you. Your task is to seize what he has seized you for. Lord, I'm asking you today. I can't do it. I can't put in people's hearts what you put in mine today. But your Holy Spirit can. Help me to see this coming year as a year that I press on to know you and fulfill the vision. Let this be a year where I begin to flow in my whole life style with a press on philosophy. And may this be the year where your promise is fulfilled that if I press on, there's a prize waiting me. And Lord, I thank you. And I praise you for it. Now with every head bowed, everyone praying, you'd say, Pastor Morocco, you know what? I'm not sure that if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. I'm just being honest. I don't know if my sins are forgiven and heaven's my home, but Pastor, would you pray for me? Because I want to surrender my heart to Jesus today. I want to receive his gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. If that be you, I'm going to ask you to just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Now I'm going to ask everyone in this house to join these who've raised their hands. Lift your hands with me. All over the auditorium, and would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Wash me and cleanse me. Make me brand new. You died for me on the cross so I could be forgiven and you rose again so I could have eternal life Jesus come into my life now be my Lord be my Savior be my King thank you for loving me and thank you for hearing my prayer Amen Amen would you give praise to the Lord oh come on let's praise Him Everybody on three, are you ready? A big press on. One, two, three. Press on. Whoa. <laughs> That's the word for this year. And we're going to fulfill it. God bless you.
Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.